Special praying for one another. It's good. So, last week uh, I spoke on missional living. So this idea that we are all sent by Jesus into the earth to bring about his plans and purposes. Okay, every single one of us, there's not people who are, oh, there's the missionaries and they do that stuff over there. We are all part of God's plan to bring the kingdom of God, to make disciples, to see families transformed, to see communities transformed. Each and every one of us has a part to play in that. That's really exciting. It's really simple. It's really straightforward. You don't have to go to Bible college. You just need the Holy Spirit. That's all. Even the people that Jesus discipled, the 12, they were uneducated. Men, we know that by the fact that they weren't already following a rabbi. They just had kind of everyday jobs. They hadn't been to university or anything like that. But they got called by Jesus and they followed him and he taught them stuff. But even that wasn't quite enough because Jesus said to his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit's come upon you in power. And at that moment, everything broke open for them and for the kingdom in a new way. So we, uh, it's important that we understand that God has this really big picture and big plan for humanity. And for every nation and throughout all of history, God has been on a mission to restore all things to himself. So again, where we understand, we might look at the gospel and that message of the good news of the kingdom, oftentimes it can be tied around the personal salvation journey that we have. That says, hey, look, we've fallen short of God's glory. Um, we are sinners and we are in need of a savior and that is all true. And Jesus has come and he's paid the price for your sin and he has, he's made a way for you to go to heaven when you die and, and have eternal life. And we're like, that's, that's good news, it's all good news. Okay. But it's actually only part of the story. The full story is we need to go right back to creation and God's original intent that humanity would rule and reign on the earth, bringing about all the purposes of God, the plans of God, living in beautiful, intimate harmony with God. The Bible talks about being fruitful and multiplying and subduing the earth. Okay. That was the original plan. And that's the plan that has been restored to us, his people, his bride, the church. So now we are on that restoration journey, bringing things back to like what it was in the beginning. We're going back to the beginning as the church. And yet it's a new thing, but it's really an old thing. So that's, it's really, really important that we understand that is God's mission, is restoring all things unto himself. And I get to be a part of that. It's not like, well, I'm just living my life and then I bumped into Jesus one day and said, thanks for the free ticket to heaven and I'll carry on my way and I'll see you one day when I die. Or maybe if you return, whatever comes first. But that can be, unfortunately, sometimes the, the journey that people walk on, their Christian faith can really be tied up, maybe attending a few things and doing some stuff here, but really it's all about one day when I die, I'll get to live this eternal life with Jesus. But the message that Jesus proclaimed was that eternal life is now. <laughs> heaven is coming here. I've, I've brought heaven here in myself and I've released it to my people. Now I want you to go and continue bringing heaven to earth. Which seems like a huge task. Would you agree? Seems you know, kind of overwhelming to, to be carrying this responsibility of what I'm supposed to be bringing heaven to earth. And yet that is exactly what God calls us to do. That's what Jesus inaugurated when he came. So God's picture is that he is restoring all things to himself. He's making all things new again. And even as he has made us new again, the Bible calls us a new creation. He is making all things new. And this mission that God has us on, again, it, it can look spectacular and it can look really, really mundane. And yet in both of those, the spectacular ways and the mundane ways, God is present and God is at work in our lives. He is with us, He is present with us. So it might be out on the streets praying for healing and seeing crazy miracles going on, or it might be caring for a loved one or you know, raising a child or working a job. 
just normal everyday things, God is interested in your life. He's interested in who you become. He's interested in your character and your nature because that's how he has chosen to continue to reveal himself to the world. He came one time as a prototype for what all of the rest of us are supposed to look like. The Bible says that Jesus was the, the firstborn of many brethren, of many brothers and sisters. He was the first example of what it looks like to, to live a life fully yielded to the Father, fully present with Him and living in full obedience to Him. That's what Jesus demonstrated. And again, you think, how, how can I live that kind of life? Well, it's not by your might or by your power, but by the Spirit. So it's actually the Holy Spirit that allows us to even live that life. It's the Holy Spirit that allows us to love God. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live and to obey and do all of those things. So really, you aren't hugely and significantly important in the whole process. So if I could just lift off that weighty expectation that you've got to live this perfect life. What is a higher priority for us is that we live a yielded life. That we just live a submitted life. So, oh, Jesus, you want me to do that? I can't do that. And Jesus is like, I know. <laughs> you can't do much without me. That's okay. That's not a put down. That's a reality. I'm God. You're not. I'm creator. You're created. It's okay. But I can empower you to do all things. That's what grace is. Grace is the empowering presence of God. So this mission is just everyday life. It's in every opportunity that we could see the kingdom, the reality, the culture of heaven come. It's in every opportunity that oh, I could be discipling someone, helping them, introducing them to Jesus. It's in every opportunity that I get to love people. It's in every opportunity that I get to love the Father. The Apostle Paul says, whether eating or drinking, do all things to the glory of God. If you've got a really sucky job, that you really don't enjoy, I, can, I wanna encourage you that it can become a whole lot more fun if you sit in that perspective that says, I'm doing this for Jesus. You might not like your boss, but if you actually understand that above that boss is Jesus and he is the one that you're serving, all of a sudden there can be a delight that comes, that even the worst job, the hardest day becomes a delight because we're serving him. So it's every day in every way, and it really is just doing ordinary things, but with kingdom intentionality. Recognizing that me living next door to somebody, there is a kingdom opportunity for me to see their life radically transformed for the glory of God. And that might come by just me being a good neighbor. I mean, Jesus literally uses those words, love your neighbor as yourself. Now again, the parable of the Good Samaritan shows it's not just your, the person who lives next door to you or the person who is maybe most familiar to you or most same as you, whether that's in social status or ethnic background. It could be anybody, but you're to love them in the same way that you would love you. And I used to think about that with my neighbors and I used to, like, I mean, I still do, but I think what, if I, this is how I love me, and would I love them in the same way? It's really that simple. And I know we complicate things. It's like, well, what would I like for my neighbor to do for me? How would I like my neighbor to treat me? Then I just flip that around and I do the same to them. It's really easy. So I wanna sit still in this place. Oh, there we go, kingdom size vision. Um, so I was gonna talk on disciple makers uh, this week, um, but I'm just wanting to keep in the big, kind of picture of what God wants to say about this, because I think it's really, really important that if we get into practicalities, when we haven't actually understood the bigger picture, the vision that God has, then we'll end up doing things potentially for the wrong reason or out of the wrong heart, and that's not gonna be beneficial for us. So we're keeping the picture wide. We'll get down to some practicalities, and there's lots of really beautiful, creative ways that we can live out this intentional life with Jesus. But we'll get to those in the coming weeks. Is that okay? 
but you're welcome to take the big picture vision and boil it down and apply it to your life without me. All right, so the mission of God is to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. Uh, Revelation eleven fifteen. I think there's a screen for this one. It says, this is, uh, this, it says, the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. So again, we're not talking about this kingdom that is separate from the earth, but this kingdom that is the earth and there's a kingdom order. So there's a kingdom that stands against the kingdom of God. And Jesus has come in and says, now this earth kingdom is going to become my kingdom. And it's gonna spread throughout. And this is in a time to come. So this is Revelation speaking of a time to come in the future where this will happen. And the reality will be that all of the kingdoms of the earth will become the kingdom of our Lord and of Jesus. So the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Jesus, and he shall reign forever and ever. That is the end game. That's, that's kind of the ultimate point of our lives on earth. Now, what we do forever and ever with the Father is another thing. And I think it's really important that we practice here on earth, okay? I think it's really important that we practice loving God and loving on him, because that's what you're going to do for eternity. Again, I was listening to a, a teaching from a guy called Dallas Willard this week, but he, he talks about heaven uh, being a really good place for those who love heaven now. Because uh, we think sometimes, maybe it's just that kind of childhood picture of what heaven will be like. It'll just be all the things that I love. Uh, and it won't be. It'll be all the things that God loves. That's what heaven's gonna be like. I know in, in, in another one of, I think it's maybe in The Divine Conspiracy in one of his books, he talks about heaven will be like hell for those who don't love God now. So it's like, ah, oh, I, I just don't really enjoy worship. You know, it's not my thing. <sighs> Eternity is a really long time to be doing something that you don't enjoy. Um, so you might as well say, well, there's an opportunity now for God to change my heart, to fill me with love, that I just love spending time with Him and love to love on Him and minister to Him because that's what I'm gonna be doing for a really, really long time. And I want you to know, you might be sitting there, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not really that into it. God can change your heart. I know my life has been radically transformed by God over many, many years, um, but my heart has changed from what I used to love to now what I love and my expectation is God's gonna to continue to change my heart to love what he loves more and more and more in my life. So we, we love God now, we'll love God for all of eternity. But there is also a, a plan and a purpose that God has for this season of the church. Before the new heavens and the new earth come, has anyone ever told you you're not going to heaven? Hmm. Heaven's coming to earth. The Bible says there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. I thought, no, I was told I was going to heaven for all eternity. No, heaven's coming to earth for all eternity. <clears throat> it's, just, it's just in the Bible. I'm not saying that's not my idea. So don't shoot the messenger. Just saying, sometimes we get ideas formed. And then we read the Bible and go, oh, that's not what it says. It's good, good reason to read it for yourself. That's all I'm saying. It's in every possible language you can imagine. Um, <clears throat> so how does this kingdom come? So we get this idea, the kingdom of God is where Jesus, wherever Jesus is in, is in ultimate authority, but actively played out, if you know what I mean. So I can say, I could say, well, I'm the father of my family, but if I'm not raising my children and I'm not providing and doing all of those things, then, then am I really the father of the family? I've got the title but I'm not actually actively working it out. In the same way, we can say, well, obviously Jesus is king of all creation. Absolutely he is. But where he is actively ruling and reigning, so where people are in submission to him, that's where his kingdom is. So there are, well, at least what I could think of, three kind of ways that the kingdom invades the earth. The first is by shifting spiritual authority structures. Probably should have written these down and put them up on the screen. 
by shifting spiritual authority structures. So this is through things, activities like prayer and worship and intercession, there are authority structures already present on the earth, spiritual authority structures. So we might use language like a territorial spirit, um, a, a territorial stronghold, that sort of language. But there are demonic entities that have authority to, um, to rule and reign in a particular area. And the main way that people come into sub- oh, stop Siri. The main way that people come into submission to them is by the way that they think. So it's like a philosophical rulership over a region. So this is sometimes what happens, you'll see there's maybe a particular brokenness, there's a particular bondage in their way of thinking over different kind of regional spaces and areas, okay? So one of the roles of the church is to do that kind of air warfare, that the kingdom comes by actually praying and worshiping and interceding and warfaring against these and displacing these territorial spirits. Now, this again is something you need to be led into by the Lord. You don't just go, all right, who are we gonna take down today? It's, it's gotta be led by the Spirit, okay? Otherwise, you'll, you'll lose the battle and that won't be good. Um, but it is, there is this reality that, uh, that God calls us to impact and shift a region spiritually through our prayer, through our intercession, through our worship, amen? So that's one way. Now, again, that's, we could, I could talk for a long time about that particular one way, and we will continue to talk about that. The other way is through the culture of heaven infiltrating every place. So as we infuse every environment with the values of God, then the kingdom of heaven starts to shift that. That's where the Bible talks about the leaven of the kingdom. It's like leaven put into dough and it makes the dough rise. All of a sudden, the dough shifts and changes because of what is put into that. So that's when it's like the neighborhood that we live in, maybe our workplace, it's how we interact with people, it's the culture, the environment that we set, it's how we live, how we speak, what we, and I'm talking what we do in terms of in prayer and all of that sort of stuff, but also just who we are as a person, that we start to live like God would live if He was us in that place. And as favor increases, as people start to look at our lives and say, man, that person, you're just always at peace. You say, yeah, and you can share then, this is why I'm at peace. But also Jesus, when he sent out the, the 70 or the 72 disciples, he said, release the shalom of God into this place. So you can actually be then releasing the peace of God into a place, into a shop, into a, into a cafe, into your home. I shared the story the other week, you know, when we had uh, the homeschool moderator come in and she just came into the house. She said, oh, this feels like home. There was something about the atmosphere in our house that this person who, as far as I'm aware, is not a believer, sensed when they came into our home. But I pray every single night with my kids, each one of them, and we pray and it's usually, it contains the same things. But one of the things is I just pray a blessing I pray a blessing over them. I pray a blessing over our household because we understand that God has given us this little bit of land that our house is on. And it's like, this is God's territory. And this is my territory. And I'm gonna stand in spiritual authority in this place. When it comes to this property and this land, a lot of prayer and intercession and worship has happened here and been to, to, just to cleanse this place of anything that would stand against the purposes of God. When we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, okay? Now again, when you say fruit of the Spirit, that's the visible things that hang off a tree, the fruit, yeah? It's what can be picked and eaten and consumed. You don't tend to like chew on the branch of a lemon tree. You know, you, you take the fruit off that and you get to consume it. So in your life, when the Holy Spirit is living and active and you're yielded to that process, naturally what's gonna flow out of you is fruit that other people will see and taste and experience. So they'll experience you as someone who is just so loving and so joyful and just always at peace and always kind and just always, you know, just you're generous, you're thoughtful, you give your time, you're concerned for other people. You're not self-centered, you're not self-focused, you're not self-protective, you're not all about you. 
actually all about other people. Now again, hear me, not at the expense of yourself. I'm not saying be a doormat, do all that sort of stuff, but you're just the kind of person that people wanna be around. And that was the kind of person that Jesus was. Not for religious people, they didn't like him much. Um, but that's like kind of for me, I'm like, I wanna be the kind of person that people who don't know Jesus wanna hang around. And if I upset religious people, I say, well, I'm probably, maybe I'm doing okay. If people who don't know Jesus like me and religious people don't like me, I'm like, okay, I'm in the right place, Jesus. Not that I wanna go out and upset religious people, but sometimes I do. <sighs> Sorry, Jesus. So this is, you know, when we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, so uh, Matthew 5 to 7, that kind of thing, these teachings of Jesus, and he talks about this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, this is what people who live in the kingdom are like. They say, well, the law says one thing, but I say live like this. That naturally, if you live in alignment with what Jesus teaches, people are going to notice. You're gonna stand out as being different, sometimes for the wrong reason. But I would hope that most of the time for the right reason. Because people say there's something different about you, that you would live a life that would cause people to ask questions. And that opens up that door then for opportunity to talk about Jesus and that's the next part is making disciples. But even before you make a disciple, the kingdom of God can come. When Jesus speaks about scattering seed and the different types of soil, you know, that parable of the sower. You've heard that? If you haven't, it's in the Bible. Look it up sometime. Um, not now, because I'm talking. Um, but he talks about the different types of sources. The sower scatters the seed and it falls on rocky ground and the pathway falls on fertile soil, falls on the soil and the weeds come up, all that sort of thing. So it's just talking about the receptiveness of different types of people to receive the good news of the kingdom, okay? What it isn't is a, um, a training seminar on where to scatter seed. Because really, if you think about it, it's like this sower clearly doesn't, you know, is a few beers short of a six pack, if you know what I'm saying. If he's scattering seed on the pathway, <laughs> like you imagine, I'm planting some grass and I'm walking down a concrete pathway and throwing seed on there. Like, seriously, dude, I'm not a horticulturalist or anything, but I know it's hard for grass to kind of take root in concrete, okay? It's not the point of the parable. The point is everywhere that the, that the sower went, clearly he was scattering seed, throwing it out there and seeing it infused. So again, it's not just like, okay, I'm just gonna wait for the right door and the right opportunity. I'm gonna wait for my work colleague to come up to me and say, please, I wanna follow Jesus, can you disciple me? Then I'll know that Jesus wants me to disciple them. Then I'll know. I'll wait for that confirmation. I was like, no, everywhere that you go, scatter the seed of the kingdom. Love people well. Kind words, generous living, all of that sort of stuff. Everywhere that you go, live like Jesus would live. And in that, you'll find all of a sudden, there'll be a person and that seed lands and, and takes root in their heart. And the doorway opens for that next step in the journey of discipleship, where they want to then say, this, this God that you're, that you're following, I, I wanna know more about him. This Jesus that you talk about, can you, can you tell me more? And you're like, yes. Don't know what to do. Brad hasn't told me how to make disciples. That was supposed to be this week, but he missed it because he talked more on the kingdom. So come back to me next week and I'll be fully equipped. No, but that's kind of where, that's what we're hoping for is that people will respond, but they'll respond to Christ in you. Not just the idea if you're talking about him, they're gonna see him, they're gonna experience Jesus. That is what it looks like to be an incarnational person. God could have sent a book but instead he sent a son. If you think about all the ways that God could have revealed himself to humanity, I mean, he did it in, in all of creation, you know, but all of the ways that God could have done it, he sent his son as the example. This is who I am. Jesus, the exact imprint of the Father's nature for people to touch and experience and hear and see with their own eyes. And he's continued that on. That, Jesus was the prototype for your life. Hopefully minus the crucifixion bit at the end. But maybe not. That's, that's the example. He set the, an example for you to follow. 
So then we get this, the other way that the kingdom come is from person to person and household to household. It's as disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus are made. Now, if the word disciple for you, as it probably doesn't, it's only really a Christian word, but if it's helpful to think of apprentices of Jesus, okay? Because we all kind of know, oh, yeah, I get what an apprentice does. I was an apprentice electrician, okay? Makes total sense to me. Now, part of my apprenticeship journey was just being at a workplace. And, you know, you start off with the menial tasks, the less important things, and you learn as well in that moment what's really important, like don't touch that, you'll die, you know, um, all that sort of stuff. Um, but that was part of the process. There was a lot of on the ground kind of learning. And then I would go to TAFE for like two week blocks and there would be some you know, intellectual kind of learning about things. This is a saw. Like, yeah, this is a screwdriver. That's, the, that's literally what the first unit is like hand tools. Um, that's where some people start. It's okay. Don't judge. Um, uh, and where was I going with this? So, so there, is, there, is, there is part of, there's a learning part, the intellectual part, but a lot of it's hands-on practice. And that's more like what discipleship was for Jesus' disciples. It was more like an apprenticeship and less like a university degree. And yet I think, I could, I'm confident to say that Modern Christianity is more like a university and less like an apprenticeship. And I think that needs to flip. Because otherwise what happens is we get a chock full of learning and understanding and yet very, very little application. Okay, so not only do we not really learn it properly, but also the world doesn't get to experience and see. I actually, in my four-year apprenticeship, I actually built things. I actually did something. So even though I was learning, things were changing, things were moving. The world was a gloriously different place. But literally, like I worked for Western Power, so it could have been that your power could have switched off because a substation, I built a substation, I didn't on my own, but you don't even know what that is. That's all right. You can look it up. Not in the Bible, but um, some people know what a, anyone know what a substation is? Yeah, cool. It's like a distribution yard where power comes in, transformers, and sends out different places. Anyway, it's good stuff. When you open your fridge and the light comes on, say, thank you, Brad. All right. <laughs> so we are invited into an apprenticeship with Jesus. And again, what's the point of an apprenticeship? So you can stay an apprentice for the rest of your life on $4.95 an hour, which was literally my first year wage, $4.95 an hour. Yeah, um, it's because I worked for the government. And uh, um, where was I going with that? No, you don't stay an apprentice the rest of your life. The, the point is that I become qualified and then I get to go out and maybe one day I'll have an apprentice that I can raise up and teach them all the things that I've learned through that hands-on and learning experience. So we are reflectors of God and when you become a disciple or an apprentice, you become a continuation of the incarnation. Say, I'm a continuation of the incarnation. Amen. So the incarnation is when Jesus came in the flesh Okay, so I am, you are now Jesus in the flesh. Yes, we understand. I know I'm saying, I'm, I know I'm saying that, and you might go, yes, yes, yes. But it's like it, that needs to find its place in us. That needs to shift our thinking as to how we live our life, because that is who you are. Are you fully like him? No. Are you becoming like him? I hope so, because that's the point. I want to share a bit, Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 11. This is the conversion of Lydia. And it says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. Is that how it says? Anyone? Yep. Anyone got a better option than that? And the following day, Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. It says, We remained in this city some days. So they traveled to a place and they positioned themselves and they waited on the Lord for what he would have for them. And it says, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. 
So they knew that there would be a place in this city where people would gather for prayer. Not prayer to Jesus, okay? But they're gathering for prayer, okay? And they go down to that place. And it says, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. So she would have been a Jewish woman. So she would have understood, yes, I worship God. She doesn't know anything about Jesus, okay? So again, she hasn't been born again, filled with the Spirit, all of that good stuff. It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. This is such a key, and again, I'm gonna talk about disciple making at another time, but this is such an important key to understand that it's not your job to open someone's heart. If somebody prays a prayer, it doesn't mean that they have been born again. So I'm all for praying prayers that says, I wanna follow Jesus and become a disciple. That's awesome. It's good to pray in that moment. It doesn't mean that someone's been born again, just means they've made a choice to follow after him. And we hope that very soon they'll be filled with God. But it says that the Lord opened her heart. Every time a person comes to faith in Christ, is born again, that is a miraculous work of God. We might wanna see arms grow out or people get healed or blind eyes open. They're all amazing, miraculous things. But so is every single time someone is born again by the Holy Spirit. They literally become a new creation. A radical change and transformation happens in that moment. But we need to keep that realization as we journey along that every time you're like, I just, I've got this friend at work and I just love them. I'd love them to meet Jesus. But I'm gonna pray that the Lord would open their heart because he is one, not my convincing, not all of my, you know, kind of scripted evangelistic techniques, but the Lord would open their heart. It says, and after she was baptized, it's a good, important step of obedience, and her household as well. So again, this was a normal part because people lived in close community, they interacted all the time and, you know, close-knit kind of village life. The gospel spread easily because people stayed in relationship with those who didn't know Jesus. They didn't say, oh, cool, I'm, I'm a Christian now. I'm gonna disconnect from my family and friends and I'm gonna go and join this group over here that does all of these other sort of Christian activities. They stayed present and the gospel naturally flowed from household to household. That's how it spread. And this is how the kingdom of God spreads, from one person who might then impact their household and then that household starts to impact other households all of the relational networks that we're connected to, the gospel starts to carry on through. She urged us saying, if you, if you judged, have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us. So again, there's this, there's this invitation to come and be present and to start that journey with them. Discipleship requires presence, amen? It requires proximity. I love, I looked up that word prevailed, I think it means essentially she hassled them until they said yes. So I said, come and say, but oh, no, no, we're fine. No, no, I insist. No, really, Lydia, we've, we've, we've already booked a hotel. Okay, boys, you're coming to my house tonight and you're gonna stay there. Do you understand? Okay, Lydia, we'll, we'll, we'll go with your plan, so. But I think that's literally what the Greek word means, so. Anyone know any Lydia's in their life? So the fact is, even for our church community, God has given us a vision that's bigger than our own personal vision. It's more than one individual or more than one life or even more than one church can accomplish. This, this vision, this mission of the transformation, the discipleship of nations, the restoration of all things. We have a part to play in what God is doing. But for us, we see a city and a region being transformed to look like heaven. That's the kind of vision and perspective we need to start getting into is to understand that's how big God's picture is. That's how big God's plan is. It's like, no, no, I told you to pray. This is how you pray. Part of this is how you pray is my king, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's God's vision. People and places transformed into the likeness of Jesus personally and the likeness of heaven culturally. And God is inviting us to take ownership of this vision. So again, we need to differentiate between what is Paradox Church's vision and what is God's vision. And if those two things are in conflict, that's a problem, 
okay? But our hope, even as we talk about our, these four values, loving God, loving others, making disciples, bringing the kingdom, this wasn't our idea, straight from the Bible, plonked it down on a page, because they're saying, well, if that's your vision, God, we wanna be about your vision. But then God might say, but specifically for you, collectively, here's some things that I want you to, to particularly focus on. You're gonna band together as a community and see this thing come about. Okay, so when we talk about things like the Transformation Center, that is a corporate vision that God's given to our community. This place, this land, all the things that God is going to do in this place, we say, Lord, this is your plan. Because again, it wasn't on my agenda. It wasn't, on our, it wasn't our idea. This, is, this has been a costly exercise to come here. And yet it's God's plan and we're yielded. So we say, yes, Lord. And he leads us into this place. But our hope and our expectation is that we'll see lives transformed. We'll see families transformed by Jesus. We'll see the city transformed, the region transformed. But we need to dream God-sized dreams. We need to dream God-sized dreams for ourselves. You know, we can get stuck in these patterns and we get, find ourselves just kind of hopeless. So I've, we've got to start dreaming a, a bigger-sized dream for our own lives. I just don't find that I connect with God very well. I need a God-sized dream because it's like, well, God, you've made a way. It's your desire. So there must be an answer to this problem that I'm facing. We need to dream God-sized dreams for our, for our families, for our relationships, for our friendships. God-sized dreams. We need to dream God-sized dreams for our neighbourhoods. Can you imagine, even if it was just, I'd just love to see my street transformed. Every house, every family, every individual on, on, my, on your street in your neighbourhood. I just wanna see their lives impacted by Jesus. So we all need, I think, personal ownership of God's vision for His kingdom. And now again, we can get all caught up, yeah, what's my destiny and what, are, what does God want for me? And that's good. But if it's not part, a bigger part of God's plan, then it can kind of get a bit skew-if. We can go off track. We all need a personal vision that aligns with God's vision for His kingdom. So then we need to ask the question, well, as a church, how are we gonna see His kingdom come and disciples of Jesus made? We need to be asking ourselves these questions all the time. How are we doing this? If He's told us to do it, okay, Lord, how are we gonna do it? Rather than, that's a great idea. How are we gonna do that? As life hubs in our church community, how are we gonna see God's kingdom come and disciples of Jesus made? As a disciple of Jesus yourself, how am I gonna see God's kingdom come and disciples of Jesus made? Because for me, my job and our job and the job of the leadership is just to present that kind of one piece, which is the corporate vision of what God is doing in this place together collectively as a church. That's one part. Then there's what you're doing in your smaller community within your life. Okay, God, what are you doing here? How are we gonna see the kingdom come? And then for me personally, oh, I've gotta say, okay, God, what, what are you doing in my life? What do you want to do in me and through me to see your kingdom come and disciples made through my life? So we need to be asking God these questions. That's a really good place to start. Unfortunately, sometimes what happens in church life is we say, well, Pastor, you tell me what the vision of the church is and I'll do that. And we get so caught up just doing the vision of the corporate part. So say, okay, well, everyone, you need to um, quit your jobs and come and be on site, live on site. We're gonna run this thing and run that thing. We've got this program and that program. Do all of these things together, okay? Well, what do I do outside of that? Nothing. Just go to work, pay your tithes and come and serve. Like, yes, what's wrong with that? But that's only one part of, of where God wants to work and is at work. He's also at work in your neighbourhood and He's at work in your workplace and He's at work in every place that you go. You are a carrier of the presence of God. You are a carrier of the kingdom of God and the King Himself lives inside of you because He's made His home in you. So everywhere that you go, God has a vision for that place to be transformed, to look like heaven. So if we put all of our attention on, this, on the corporate part, then we miss out on what's happening, all of the opportunities that we have throughout the day.
Because the reality is in the kingdom, everyone gets to play. I think that's a quote, uh, John Wimber speaks of that. You know, we talk about even healing and all that sort of stuff, but in the kingdom, everyone has a role to play. Now, not everyone's called to lead in a corporate church kind of setup. And again, if that's like, that becomes the pinnacle of, oh, that's the, the, the ultimate place to be. I just really want to encourage you against it because it's not fun. <laughs> it's really hard. And if you're not, if God hasn't called you to do it, it's going to be much harder and going to suck a whole lot more. <laughs> but it's not, like this is not, don't, don't be eyeing off my job. Like that's the, I mean, you can if you want to, like I'll have to, I'll die one day, but, um, but you know what I mean? Like some, that's kind of what's been drilled into us almost in the church. Yes, it's the pastor, ought to be a pastor and do that sort of stuff. It's like, no, just be a pastor wherever you are. Just follow the good shepherd and be a shepherd of people wherever you are. Oh, but I could be like the apostle. Like, no, you are apostolic because Jesus is the great apostle and you are being formed into his likeness. So go and be an apostle wherever you are. Go and be a divine strategist and, and, and bring kingdom architecture into every sphere that you're in. Oh, but I wanna be like a prophet. You are, because <laughs> Jesus is a prophet. He's the great prophet. And you're being formed into his likeness and you can prophesy. So go and prophesy your heart out into people's lives. Because actually, the church probably doesn't need to hear any more prophetic words. People out there need to hear the heart of God being spoken directly to them. They're the ones that need to hear the heart of God. Now again, I'm not saying, I don't wanna flip it right upside down and say, oh, well, cool, it doesn't matter what's happening at the corporate church, we'll just go, I'll just go do my own thing. I'm not saying God calls you to be part of a family. God calls you and he might call you specifically to serve in an area on this property in a program or in another place that's connected to our family. So I'm not saying he's not going to do that or that's bad or something, but I'm just saying if that's the only way that we think about things, then that's, it's, it's just lopsided. Because God might call you to lead a family. God might call you to lead in your workplace. He might call you to be a leader in your neighborhood. And my encouragement to you is don't make a ministry out of something that's meant to be a lifestyle. So I just wanna serve the homeless. We need to serve the homeless, Brad. So let's set up a homeless serving ministry. I mean, we could do that or you could just go and serve them and love them. So, oh, but you know, we could we could do this. And I'm, so I'm, again, I'm not saying that we won't do those things corporately, but it's also can it doesn't need a ministry around it. The, we we build ministries around things that require the resource. Or when God says, actually, the sphere of impact I want you to have is much bigger than what an individual or even a life hub can carry. Okay, so there are some things that we feel like, yes, this is a corporate thing that God's calling us to do and we need that collective resource of people and things like that. But if we're dealing with, um, you know, if women are coming and living on site in the uh, recovery center and getting healed and transformed from mental health struggles that they're in, it doesn't then mean, oh, but then my neighbor who has mental health struggles, well, unless they come here, they can't really get any help. No, they can, because they can be loved by you. They can be welcomed into family by you. They can be prayed for by you. It's everywhere that we go, okay? So it doesn't, one doesn't cancel out the other. I'm hoping that makes sense. I'm just aware, I don't want the pendulum to swing. So as I said, we have corporate things and we have individual things. Both of them need to be chugging along by the power of the Holy Spirit with the same vision of God to see transformation come. But then you might ask, well, if, it's, if we're supposed to be out there just living on mission, then why are we in here listening to you blabber on about stuff? Okay, it's a good point. It's a good question to ask. Well, from the beginning, at least in, in, for this church, um, we felt like it was really important to have a time where number one, that we can corporately worship God together. Because there is something that when we are together, that we are encouraged and blessed and supported by one another in that space. Sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes I come into a Sunday and I can just feel a bit flat. I can feel a bit disconnected. And all of a sudden when I'm just in a room with others and we, it's like we link arms, you just get and you just experience God. 
or you're given an opportunity to love on Him together. There is a power in that. Okay, so there's good things for corporate worship, intercession of what God accomplishes in that time. It's a good thing, okay? Um, Ministering to God, having a time where we can, and you can do that in your bedroom, but there's something when we collectively come together as a family, we just love on God and we're ministered to, by God to us. And we minister to one another in that environment as we did today. Lots of prayer, prayer for healing, prayer for breakthrough, whatever it was, we get to do that and minister to one another, okay? Now, that can happen in this big context, can happen in your life hub, can happen at a coffee shop, have a coffee with a friend, so again, but we want it to happen in every space. There is also a really important part of where we equip the saints together. When it talks about the early church, it says, you know, they, they broke bread in homes together and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There was a, a place where they would gather together and they would get that bigger picture, direction, vision of what God is about. Okay, and they were equipped. So the Bible talks about Ephesians 4.11 that Jesus gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry. So to equip everyone to be on mission for God in every sphere, but to look more like Jesus. So there is a place for corporate equipping. And when we come together, we get connected to the wider mission and vision of what God has got going on. So the question is, do we need to gather on Sundays? The answer is no. We don't need to. We can shut this down today. If we shut this down today and the whole church fell apart, that would be concerning for me. Because it would mean there's, there's no personal faith journey that you're on. There's no other connectedness, okay? So we wanna have a church that actually, if persecution came or a global pandemic came, the church wouldn't fall apart. Well, it doesn't matter if we don't get, we'll just, we gather wherever we want to gather. <laughs> and we'll go underground if we need to. And the reality is the church has expanded most dramatically under persecution. So that's because it takes on a more apostolic form, missional form, but that's a whole other story. So do we have to gather on Sundays? No, can it, can it be beneficial? Absolutely. Can it be a waste of time? Yes, it can also be that. My hope is that it's not a waste of time. And we, we try to not make it a waste of your time, okay? There's benefit to it. In the same way I could ask, do I need to read the Bible? No. Is it beneficial to read the Bible? Absolutely it is. Again, there's countries where you can't access the Bible. Can the church still thrive? Can the Holy Spirit still speak? Absolutely it can. Is it beneficial? Yes, really, really beneficial. Do we need to fast? No. Is it beneficial to fast? Absolutely it is. You see what I'm saying? There's all these things where we look at it and go, well, we don't need to do that, but we see the benefit in doing it. So again, we could have structured the church in a way that said, yeah, no, we're just gonna meet and do it this way and we'll you know, catch up during the week and do it in all these different ways. But we felt like God was saying, no, there's a good elements to the gathering together. Cool? So yeah, I value meeting together with you and I hope you would value it the same. And uh, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> all right. So it's really important as we're, kind of grasping this bigger vision that we actually need to shift some of our ways of thinking about our lives. So it's called a paradigm. So this is a, like an unconscious way of thinking about things. And oftentimes we don't think about our paradigms, but we all have paradigms. We'll have just kind of automated ways that our brains think about things, okay? And we might, could be you use the word church. Think, oh, you mean that building and that place that we gather on a Sunday, okay? So that's a paradigm. It's a wrong paradigm. I spent 11 years helping trying to explain this, but, 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 but it's okay. No judgment here, no, no. But you know what I mean? So we just think, oh yeah, that's what it is. It's like, oh no, I could use the word mission. Oh cool, yeah, you mean that those people who, you know, live, who are like really poor and they live in even poorer countries. Um, ministering to Jesus, yeah, for Jesus, yeah? That's, that's, no, that's a missionary. Oh no, 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 oh wait, hold on, I'm a missionary. Oh, cool, oh, yes, oh, the gospel is, oh, Jesus came in so I could get a ticket to heaven and yeah, that's easy. You know, like it's like, no, the, we actually need to shift some of our thinking, okay? Our, our thinking, our framework of thinking needs to become more like God's way of thinking. And then it, it, it just causes us to ask the right questions of God. It causes us to be looking out for what he is doing in particular places. If, if my paradigm says God speaks and acts in, just in my quiet time with him, then I'll listen in that time for God, 
Okay, cool. And then I'll go about my day assuming, well, he doesn't think and he's not going to act in my workplace. So there are a bunch of Deros and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so I just go back and then I have, oh, I have my nice time. But my nice time with Jesus helps me to live with these, you know, with these hooligans over here. It's them, my soccer team. Um, I had to throw it in there somehow, get my soccer team in again. Um, but the reality is, if I, but if I have my perspective that God is here with me in this place and I get to love on Him and He loves on me and it's good, intimate time with Jesus. And then I go out to this place and God is with me and He is amongst these people and He loves them in the same way that He loves me. So I'm gonna be looking for, how can I love these ratbag people over here in my workplace? Because God loves them and He's present with me. But do you see that? That's actually how I think. Now, God can be screaming it in my ear and my ears are, are, are tuned out because I'm not listening for him to say things about my workplace. I just wanna hear nice things about me. It causes us, it shifts our thinking. Right thinking produces right praying. It produces right living. It produces right speaking. So actually, right thinking is really important. This is the whole concept of repentance. The English word repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means to ch the ch a changing of the mind. So when Jesus comes and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying, you guys need to change your, the way that you think. You need to shift your paradigms because what you're not understanding, you're thinking that the kingdom's to come in the future, but you need to understand it's right here, right now. It's literally standing in front of you. But unless you repent, you ain't gonna see it. We think repentance is all about sinning. But really, repentance is about seeing. If your whole perspective and your paradigm on repentance is, when I've sinned, then I repent. It's like, no, no, no. You, you wanna see rightly, you gotta repent. Because you gotta change the way you think. You gotta come into agreement, into alignment with the way that God thinks. Otherwise, you're never gonna see truth. And if you don't see truth, then you can't live in accordance with truth. All we're doing when we make apprentices of Jesus, I said last week, we're just inviting people into friendship with God in order that they might become more like God and then invite others to become friends with God. And it just flows on in that way. Releasing the reality of the kingdom of God is just seeing the culture of heaven. There's people valuing what God values, even though they might not put the name of Jesus onto it. I talk about when we start to see culture shift away from biblical values and then it comes to the government, and the government's saying you gotta vote about some of these things that are anti-Christian values. And if we think then, oh cool, now's the time where we gotta start fighting for, for Christian values because it's a Christian nation and it's a great South land of the Holy Spirit and we gotta you know, rally and we gotta vote and we gotta do all that sort of stuff. In my opinion, when, when the culture is pushing towards a value and it gets to the point where the government's calling a referendum or a vote or, or establishing things at that level, we haven't done our job. Because we have an infused culture with the culture of heaven where the whole nation starts to think like God would think. That's where we need to be. Well, all of a sudden, when it gets to the point of legislation, we've, we've, we've actually lost the battle. We've lost the war. We haven't done our job. But you could say it gets to this point and all of a sudden, can you imagine if the secular media and secular organisations and you know, people who, who would not call themselves in any way Christians started to advocate for the unborn and started to say, no, at a, at a governmental level, something's gotta change because abortion is, is happening and it needs to stop and people start to have a revelation and a, and, a, and a care for the unborn, a love, and they start to say, we've got to move culture because Christians have just been living lives releasing the kingdom of heaven and releasing the thought life of heaven and releasing the power of God and the presence of God into every space that your neighbours start to think differently about things like that. And they start valuing different things. They start being less selfish and more selfless in their lives. And all of a sudden, the government's like, man, we've got to change the laws on some of these things. Otherwise, we're going to lose our jobs because we aren't going to be popular if we keep going down this path. That's the leaven of the kingdom. That's the culture of heaven invading a place and shifting the culture of earth. I put a picture here of, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's quite relevant because it's like a virus spreading. Not that one, next one. 
That's the one. But that's, again, how the kingdom spreads. It's just from one place to the next. It's one culture impacting another culture and infecting the world. And you could, you could plot that like how Christianity spread. It wasn't because a government took it on board. I think that actually Christianity is, it had its worst time when Constantine kind of jumped on board. Before that, it was a radical, unstoppable, underground missional movement. And I reckon we would have seen the whole earth reached with the gospel if it hadn't been for that dude. All right, I'm gonna skip over the, the uh, I had a whole missional wheel thing. You can go back to the main screen. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about that next week. More car illustration. Yeah. All right. As I said before, uh, Matthew 4, 17. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' message was about how close the kingdom was to humanity. It was literally within reach. You can go from living under one order in one kingdom and you can transition into living under a whole new way of life, eternal living under the Lordship of Jesus. And it's so close. And do you wanna know how close it is to your neighbor? It's right next door. You wanna know how, how close it is to the person in the cubicle in front of you at work? It's literally that close, it's a cubicle away. It might be a seat away on the bus. It might be a few chairs away in a classroom. Everywhere that you go, you carry the kingdom of God. So everywhere that you go, we have that opportunity to invite people into that process of their minds being changed and transformed to understand who God is and just how good He is and how much He wants to change and transform their lives. I think some of us, probably all of us, but maybe we need to repent. Maybe we need to change our, our thinking on these things in order that we might see the kingdom and experience the kingdom. Maybe we're going through our everyday life. Siri. Maybe we're going through our everyday life and we're not seeing God at work. We're not experiencing the fruitfulness of a life with Jesus because our eyes are focused on other things. Maybe our ears have become deafened to his voice. As I said before, repentance isn't all about sinning, it's all about seeing and seeing rightly. Would you like to stand with me? We're gonna pray. Thank you, Jesus. So I just wanna pray for you, if you want me to pray for you. So I'm gonna invite actually a response to this. But I'm wondering if you would come forward and you're gonna stand anywhere around in this front section, but just to come forward if you wanna repent for not seeing how close the kingdom is for missing it being right before you. And again, I'm not saying that you're a sinner and you need salvation. You're just saying, I've been blind in this area, Jesus, and I want you to change my seeing. I want you to change my perspective. I want you to shift how I've been thinking about my life. Maybe where I've disconnected myself or I've, I've kind of stuck you in the box over there. I've stuck you in the, in the church box, Jesus, but... I haven't put you in the work box. I haven't put you in the friendship box. I haven't put you in the, in the leisure time box. And yet, Jesus, you can't be contained by boxes, Lord. But you are everywhere and you have something to say and you've got a plan and a vision and purposes for every area, Lord. So if you wanna come forward, maybe you wanna come forward just to repent for having a small, a human-sized vision rather than a God-sized vision. So if you want me to pray, just come forward. Just as an act of obedience, just an act of, of cost, I'm coming forward too. Thank you, Jesus.
We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the one that can open eyes, that you are the one that can open our hearts, that you are the one that can tear down those strongholds of thought. You are the one who can help us to see. You are the one that can give us that God-sized vision. But Jesus, we come before you now and we repent for all the ways that we haven't seen you at work, that we haven't acknowledged that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Lord, where we have loved ourself in the place of others, Lord, where we have chosen self-protection over kingdom declaration, Lord. Would you help us to see Jesus? Would you give us a love for the lost, for the broken, for those who right at this moment are heading towards a Christless eternity? Would you give us a love for them, Jesus? Would you stir up love in our hearts, God, so that it wouldn't even feel like a barrier to climb over to love on people? It would be, I can't stop myself from loving these people. Would you stir up love in our hearts? You are love, so when you are residing, we have access to the fullness of love. Well, I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you let it flow? Thank you, Lord. Would you crack open the wellspring of love in our hearts for those who don't know you, Jesus? We just pray, Lord, that you, would our blind eyes be opened? Would our mindsets be shifted right now? In Jesus' name, let us see your kingdom, God. Let us see your vision, Lord. Let us see your plans and purposes, God. And stir us up, Father, to have a kingdom-sized vision, a God-sized vision, Lord, of our own lives, Father. Father, maybe where we've been putting ourselves down, we've literally been diminishing your word over us. We've been positioning ourselves as less than what you call us to be. And Father, we repent for calling ourselves less than what you call us to be. Who are we to say who we are? You say who we are, Jesus. You say who we are, Lord. And would you give us a God-sized vision for our relationships, Lord? Whether it be our friendships, Father, whether it be a, 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 a husband-wife relationship, Lord, maybe a family, a, a parent over children, Lord, grandparents, Father, whatever the relationships that exist in our lives, would you give us a God-sized vision for that, Lord, for breakthrough, for transformation, Lord? Father, would you give us a God-sized vision for our life hub, God, that we are a part of, Father? regardless of how connected or disconnected we feel, Lord, will we start to shift into that space to say, man, if I'm gonna live this kingdom life, I need my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need to partner in with them, Father. Would you stir up, Lord, in a right, healthy way, that covenant commitment to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, arm in arm on this mission to see your kingdom come and your will be done. Father, would you give us a God-sized vision for this church community, Lord? Father, in this city, in this wider region, Lord, Father, what would it look like for heaven to truly be established in this place? And Father, you would shift even our prayers to start declaring and releasing, Father, into the atmosphere, Lord, into the land, God, this shift, Father, that heaven would come and in whatever way you want us to be your hands and feet, we say, yes, Jesus. We say, yes, Jesus. And Father, where it feels overwhelming, where we are unsure, God, we simply come with our loaves and our fish. We come, Lord, with our two coins. And we say, Father, right now today, I feel like my offering is so small, but I give it to you. And I thank you that you are the God that multiplies. You are the God of the increase, Father.
So even where I feel like I am small and I have so little to give, I give it, I give you myself, Jesus. I give you myself. And I know that you'll provide everything that I need and I know that you will multiply the little that I have. We love you, Jesus. And we lean in dependent this week. In a new way, I pray, God, you would stir up just a new way of us seeing you and recognizing our need for you, Jesus. And we thank you, Father, for open doors this week, Lord. Just open doors in relationship, Lord. We're not here to convince or compel. We're here to love and invite. But Lord, we just pray for open doors of favor with people. Just those chance opportunities. It could be with a complete stranger or it could be with the closest friend. But Lord, that we'd have eyes to see and ears to hear what you are doing in our lives. And we thank you that you would choose to use us for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen.